Bad news, guys. My mom started attending a new church and made me burn all my D&D books. Luckily, I was able to convince her that Call of Cthulhu is a game about entering the priesthood. So, game on! Welcome to another edition of the Grognards. I'm Dean Geiken. I'm Eric Hawley. And I'm Greg Ziegler. And today, much like Eric, we're going to be talking about things that are just not natural. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, this is a new series that we've been talking about. We just finished our class series, and, and most of the people, I think, enjoyed that. Uh, we did get a, a few fiery remarks about mm-hmm. uh, those, those who, said, who listen. Yeah, yeah. They, apparently um, we don't know it all. But... Uh, we're going to start a new series on the monster types. So we're going to start talking about monsters, and we're going to just do them broken down by the types according to our new hierarchy. And we're yeah. just going to do them alphabetically, I think. So, so I get, yeah, if we do it this way, our first one's going to be aberrations. aberrations ABB, that's pretty early in the alphabet. One, two, I'm looking at D&D. Or A-B-E, I guess. Yeah, I'm looking at uh, D&D Beyond. So we have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen to go with. Yeah, so that's about the same size as our class series. It'll take us about a month or, sorry, about a year to finish. Yeah, so we'll Uh, go ahead. My interesting question is, is, do we know how or why they broke them into these categories? Uh, Just for ease of use, probably. I mean, I think it falls out naturally. Why do biologists break Mm -hmm. creatures into categories in the natural world? Just easier to talk about them that way, I think. Yeah, I think they were broken up into categories when uh, rangers had their favorite enemy, right? Possibly, yeah. That's, that's probably part of it. Yeah, that's a good yeah. catch. Yeah, because yeah. I that's I always picked weird things for my favorite enemy when I was a ranger. I don't know. I recall if early edition you had. Did you pick specific monsters or monster categories? It was categories because it was like giants, aberrations, um, fiends, and things like that. I believe that was the case. Maybe I'm mixing up my editions. I don't know. But, well, I have happened to have my first edition player's handbook. You know, here. it'd be really nice if D and D Beyond there was a, a first edition version of D and D. Never going to happen. Yeah. Not yeah. enough play, people playing first edition. Yeah, Eric right. did bring in a nice pile of uh, of vintage books. Yeah. Well, this because uh, the other thing we're going to do in this category, there are a ton of monsters in each type nowadays because oh, we yes. have five editions of D and D. We can't possibly hit them all. So what we're going to do is we're going to focus on the earliest ones, and those tend to be the most exciting the anyway because they've lasted for five editions. So we're essentially going to focus on the ones that have been around since the beginning of D and D. Right. So okay, well, while you're looking about what happened with a ranger back in fifth edition, we need to focus first on edition, our yeah. or yeah, first edition. Uh, we need to focus on what we've been doing the last time that we got together, which was not all that long ago. No. So this is our segment: games people play. All right, Greg. How about you? Did you have anybody show up for your Star Wars game? Uh, yeah, everybody showed up this time. So what yeah. the hell? Yeah, I know. Well, <laughs> hey, I did. Uh, I did Game Hole Con, and then the next, then four, five days later, I played Star Wars, and then two days later, I played D and D. So it's been a game packed two weeks for me. All right, my wife is loving it. Greg was oh, actually, I bet. yeah. Greg was early for a D and D game yesterday. Yeah, forty five minutes early. You realize that's why it's so damn cold today. No, you know what happened? <laughs> we were planning on starting at 9.30, and he st- thought we s- were starting at 8.30. So I was actually 15 minutes, 15 late. minutes late to be an hour early. <laughs> yeah. So, but I, I freaked the I don't know crap if that out of everybody not. else, though. Everybody else was like, when I opened the door for a couple yeah, people. Yeah, they all thought they were late because Greg was there. Like, late? What's, what's going wrong, man? <laughs> Although they actually, the, some people were late-ish. Yeah. I, I suppose. Yeah. It, no, I mean, I used to say that you're not late le- until you arrive after Greg, but now everybody was after Greg, so I can't say that anymore. I guess. So did you do that on purpose? And you did you tell him a different time? No, no, no. no. Just, okay. I just I was I hadn't planned on getting up that early, and my alarm was all weird, and I woke up, and it. Sometimes you just wake up and you're confused. You don't know where you are or what's going on. Sometimes because it's not. No, okay. Every day when you wake up confused, but uh, yeah, I just didn't know what was going on and I panicked and hurried and left and uh, and it actually worked out pretty well. Yeah, <laughs> and it was an interesting session as well. Um, one takeaway: if you're going to barricade a doorway to stop somebody from leaving, don't leave it to the wizard to do that. <laughs> 
What did he do? Barricade it and it was an well, outward, outward opening door? No, they were breaking into a keep <laughs> and there was a guardsman inside the room, the right. little antechamber. And everybody's just taking their actions and they're trying to like get in the room. Yeah, because there, there was a courtyard and people, everybody wanted to get out of the courtyard and into the open door that's supposed to be because closed all the time. They had been using stealth up until then. And they had silenced the room, so they did that part right. But then they get down to the last character before the guards initiative, and it's the wizard. And I sort of subtly hint to them that this dude can just run out the door and start yelling. Yeah. So they're like, crap. Uh, and they have a barbarian. They <laughs> I got... was really hoping somebody was going to bum, you know, be able to take out the guard. I assumed it was going to take another round to do the guard. So I'm standing over in the yeah. corner. They're like fourth level and the guard had like 70 hit points. Oh, OK. Yeah. So, and they were told early on that the, the, the people in this keep were skilled. They weren't just common fluke, yeah. you know, and that they had already dealt with some of the, the flunkies and those mm-hmm. guys were pretty, there was an ogre, he's a flunky, yeah. you know, so the guys in the keep are pretty tough. The assassins, I was really hating on the assassins. Yeah, the assassins. They were not cool. Um, uh, needless to say, the guard went up, <clears throat> stabbed the wizard three times with a spear and then walked out into the courtyard and started screaming. <laughs> So we're kind of screwed again, but that that's par for the course for this campaign. Yeah. We are we are not the smoothest customers. Yeah, um, but I, it, it is well, it is a fundamentally evilish campaign. Yeah, so. there's supposed to be a redemption arc, but one of our players, Mark, he <laughs> chose chaotic evil as as his alignment. I'm not sure how he did that. I don't think I knew that when he I was made his say, character. How did you let that happen? Yeah, I mean, I think he said he wanted to be evil and. I remember that, but I don't remember the chaotic evil part. So I'm actually, th- and I don't think he listens to the podcast, so I can just say whatever I want. I think I'm going to start giving him different information than the rest of the party. So he just starts to act really strangely. Like, like just make him paranoid. You realize you do have another player. Well, yeah, that's okay. Yeah, that's all Greg right. will role play it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I'll make it worse. So like if they're just talking to like a shopkeep, I'm going to like just send Mark a text message. The shopkeep appears to be reaching for a short sort under the counter. And then no. Mark will be like, I cut him down. And everyone else will be like, what the hell, dude? And, I'll just, yeah. and, he'll, and then I won't, I'll just say, yeah. So you guys use text messages. Well, I'm going to start. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say, uh, do you remember back in the day passing notes? Passing notes, notes yeah. Oh, God, that was bad. Yeah. We had to put a kibosh on that in our group. On Critical Role, when Mercer has to uh, tell a character something individually, he walks over and he whispers. And then uh, Sam Regal, who's like the pitch guy for their sponsors, mm-hmm. will like go into a pitch like an impromptu you know go to D beyond and you know generate your character uh so and meanwhile he said that he needs to go to the left yeah so so anyway uh, i'm gonna watch critical role one of these days yeah I, i'm sort of falling behind now because i have so much stuff going on i can't even imagine trying to yeah. catch up i would only want to start I don't yeah. even want to start. For the record, our first edition Rangers, although, you know, we're yeah. already, I already distracted us enough, so I might as well finish it. Um, they had their bonuses against giant class creatures. And then th- those included bugbears, ants, giants, gnolls, goblins, hobgoblins, kobolds, ogres, ogre magi, orcs, and trolls. So they didn't get to pick, they got a setting, right? Outdoors right. and underground setting. So maybe it was 3.5. Yeah, it was, they didn't actually get like categories until yeah. later. I think that must have been 3.0 or yeah. something. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, that makes sense. Uh, let's see. For me, well, I... Oh, I was going to say the nice yeah. thing about uh, Eric's, the regular game, is that everybody does always show up. Yeah. We, we don't play unless everybody's there. And uh, yeah, I think these uh, I think these evil characters are going to end up eating themselves at one point because my character is essentially fairly selfish, and you know I'm I'm not the first one to go in the door unless I think there's a good reason, a really good reason for me to, and uh, I, I don't know that everybody else is necessarily playing with that screw the rest of you mindset, but I'm kind of running with it that way because I think when I'm chaotic neutral, I think aren't I and yeah something, something like that yeah. yeah so I'm I'm out for me. Um, and Star, Star Wars worked out pretty well as well. One one interesting thing is, and I always say, yeah, we played Star Wars and everybody was there or, some, or everybody wasn't there and, and we got some stuff done. <clears throat> my players in my Star Wars group, we've been playing together as a group with like the exception of a couple of people in there. But the, the core four of us have been playing together since the early to mid 90s just as a group 
to play something different. You know, we used to play Champions all the time, and then this little group was playing something else, usually a sci-fi or a horror game. And um, we are accustomed to campaigns that go on and on and on. I mean, we played Buffy for 12 years. We played Mutants and Masterminds for five or six. So we played for three hours. Not a whole lot happened. Um, there was a That's lot what of, happens. The yeah. longer a group's been together, the less you actually get done during a right. session. Yeah, yeah, there's no there's no pressure because we know, hey, we got four or five more years to yeah. you know resolve this. So. In our monthly game, we talked about a myriad of topics. Now, the new you see, Watchmen series on HBO, we covered that. Conversely, yeah. as they get closer to their 60s and 70s, their gaming is going to ramp up because they realize they have less time. <laughs> I don't know if it works that way, but sure. Uh, nah, we'll just, we'll you know, the end game is coming sooner than later. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I like how he says they, then he's not in that age category. No. Group I plan on living to be 140. Um, I don't know about um, you guys. <laughs> Eric's going to kill himself off with heroin when he's 70. <laughs> so, yeah. You know, but he'll be well meth, preserved. I might not have any teeth anyway, so meth might be the way to go. I'm not sure. Heroin, meth. Well, but he'll end up in his lead-lined uh, radioactive coffin, right. so yeah. we don't have to worry about With it. With all my unpainted minis. Yeah. Yeah, nobody wants them. Nobody wants them. Uh, for me, I didn't get a whole lot of gaming done. I did uh, lose miserably uh, in the Conan game that I was playtesting. I think I was doing something wrong because the players literally walked all over me. So I must not have been playing right. But I have been selected to help set up a... Uh, a trivia night at the local bar in my hometown. Really? Yeah. Is it one going of to be themed? Yeah, I, it may be, oh. um, but it's we're trying to figure out how to do it electronically. Do you have to write the questions, or do you have the questions? We're going to try to see if we can... It may be a little bit of both. Okay, because I had to write questions for two years for the church trivia night. It oh, my a goodness. fundraiser. Yeah. It's hard. Yeah. It, I mean, the problem is... Like, I know stuff, but do other people know exactly. that stuff? Exactly. I then, could ask those questions, They were also too. playing groups. So it's not just what I know. What does a group of people know? The first year, my questions right. were too easy. The second year, they were way too hard. Right. So we're trying to do this as... I don't know if we're going to go with, you know, teams or individuals, but we're going to try and do it so that it's electronically done so that it can be shown up on the TV screens in the bar. And then you well, can they have respond. that bar game that they play, the trivia bar game that people yeah. log in. But I think that's a pretty steep buy-in for the bar. Yeah, probably. Yeah, so we're going to try and do this with uh, Jackbox game, Jack. Oh yeah, those are fun. games from yeah. Xbox, and just hook up oh, an Xbox. I have, I have a. Nice. There's a Steam attachment you can hook to your TV that you can play those on Steam, and everybody just uses their cell phone. That's what we're planning on doing. You yeah. can do the same thing with the Xbox. Yeah, that's yeah. Really cool. Cool. The Xbox does all the heavy lifting. You don't need a well, really what, what night beefy you Wi-Fi. Do that? We don't know. We're oh. thinking about Tuesday nights. That'd be good. I, I'd head out for that, for at yeah. least for the first one. Yeah. So we're going to try and do it. We're hoping after the first of the year to maybe do the inaugural trivia night. So Cool. But uh, that's what I've been doing. We basically, the last two days, have been kind of brainstorming that. So, All right. Well, I think that's all, unless you guys got anything else. Nope. Want. All right. That no. was our segment, Games People Play. Okay, now back to those aberrations that yeah. we are going to be talking about. Um, so we're going to stick kind of, what did you say, to the, f not necessarily first edition, but just... I think all of them are first edition. Okay. Right. So... Original aberrations. Yeah, and we're going to go, we're just going to go alphabetical because there's no r really other way to do it, I suppose. Sure. So the first big one we run into, another AB, the Aboleth. Aboleth, which to me looks like kind of a big old... If you take a look at the D&D uh, D &D Beyond picture, it's a big old multi-tentacled worm with a mouth. Yeah, what's and it's like huge, right? Or is yes. It, yeah, it's, yes. it's real. It's like a whale-ish, mm -hmm. sort of Ew. squidly whale. And uh, first first showed up in I-1, Dwellers of the Forbidden City in 1981, at, in a module, and then they oh. published it in the Monster Manual 2. I don't know so if I have that module. It's, it's the one with the, old. they got like the little creatures, the... the the, with the multi, I think they have multi arms. They're humanoid, but they're sort of insecty. I have to look through my my collection. Mm. Yeah, and it they, it came. Uh, David Zeb Cook, who's yeah. uh, still around, as far as I know, he's he's the one who came up with it. And they're sort of like a psychic squid. I realized this as as I was researching it. Like 
psionics and psychic stuff used to be sort of the unknown in early editions of D&D because they had psionics. We'll talk about that. Oh. That confused everybody. Yes. But, but uh, that has it, that Watchmen tie in, too, because the, in the original comic book, that's how they, they destroy yeah. New York is with the psychic squid. So. Yeah. yeah. And, and in the new series, they have squid like it rains squids. I'm wondering if Alan Moore was a D&D player. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> so so they truthfully, I've never used a lot of the Aboleth stuff. I realized in doing this that a lot of these monsters are sort of standalone. They're big enough that you need to have an adventure designed around them. Yes. And I'm not the, I'm not the kind of DM that does that. I don't really design adventures around monsters. I sort of have a story in mind first. And how many... This is a waterborne... I mean, it can breathe air and water, but it's a waterborne type of creature. How many adventures do you usually create that are focused around yeah. water? Yeah, and... Again, I, I'm not a big fan of waterborne adventures. I don't know that I have run Abolus in fifth edition as part of Adventures League. There was a module that had it, uh, but even then, they're sort of, eh. I don't know. They're they're okay. They got this thing where there's a mucus cloud. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, Greg on a Saturday. <laughs> yeah, Sunday after Sunday. after a hard weekend. Yeah. Um, they, but you have to be in the water for that. Right. They got this slime that's like psychically active. That if you touch that, now the the mucus is interesting because if you can breathe water, but if you leave the water, you have to stay wet or you take damage. Right. I, I think that's how it works. If mm-hmm. I, uh, you know, and you can only regain hit points in water, and you have to stay wet. So it's weird. Um, they're legendary, though. They get all that legendary stuff. Yeah, they have uh, one, two, three different legendary actions. Uh, detect. The Abolith can make a wisdom perception check. Wow, is that legendary? <laughs> you know what, though? That is a problem with 5th edition, though. Like, it takes an action to make a perception check. So if yeah. you're a rogue and you want to hide, you're almost always against somebody's passive perception. Because if you hide and then they want to deny you your sneak attack, they have to use their action to see you. Yeah. So they just waste their action. That's a problem with mm. car- uh, monster design in 5th edition, yeah. which we've sort of covered before. The monsters don't keep up with the character's abilities to do multiple things in a turn. They generally can only do one thing. They're very static. And usually it's damage. So all that other stuff. So that actually, legendary perception check isn't bad because it prevents people from being sneaky on you. Yeah. It also has a tail swipe and the psychic drain. Yeah, psychic drain, which takes psychic actions. damage, and uh, it heals the abolith. So yeah. that, that might be worth it. The other thing, psychic damage is hard to resist. I believe even the barbarian that resists almost all damage does not resist psychic, I think. I think that's how it works. So mm-hmm. the abolith, the other thing I don't like about it is you have this, like, psychic whale, sort of how I think of it. But you also have mind flares, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. Which are way cooler in my in my book. So I'm like, I can have this thing that has to float in water. And the way I've seen them used is they're sort of like the master controller because they have a pretty far telepathy range. So, you know, I guess from that perspective, if you want to design an adventure around them, yeah, it sort of makes sense. But once you actually meet them, they're not all that intimidating in my opinion. <laughs> Besides the fact that they're in water and you have to probably get in the water to fight them and then Yeah, I don't like the water. <laughs> We should mention that they are a challenge 10. Yeah, CR 10. I, I yes. guess I didn't put that one. Uh, with 5,900 experience points, should you be so lucky as to take them out? Yeah, that's the other thing about um, D&D challenge ratings. Fifth edition are just total bunk in my book. It, they don't, deadly encounters are not deadly once you hit about tier two. Definitely at tier three and tier four, you throw them right out the window. Unless you put multiple monsters you need flunkies, which in fourth edition they had uh, what they call them. The, they there's a word they used. Uh, it's escaping me. They had like one hit point um, hmm. flunkies. Oh right, god! That you could just like clean up, which actually is good. Now one hit point maybe is a little weak, but lesser monsters that can just sort of you either have to deal with or you're going to take attrition damage. Well, they take up all your they take up your actions. Yeah, so that's it, what it evens for. out the action economy. Single monsters, a challenge rating means absolutely nothing because a monk will stun it and then <laughs> the combat's over. All right, so what's next up on this? The big one. This, yes. this one to me is sort of one of the iconic, if not the iconic monsters in D&D. The I would Beholder. say that was fair. You know, and I, I had my Beholder cosplay. Maybe we'll have to 
do a picture of that at some point. But uh, the Beholder, giant floating eyeball with eye stalks sticking from top of his head. The artwork for the monster has changed dramatically over time. Yes, at one time it was a beach ball with like, Yeah, and it looked almost know. like comic-y. The, yeah. the, the first edition Beholder in the Monster Manual was goofy looking. Mm, but, had uh, this weird little smiley face on it. Yeah. yeah. Well, keeping in mind the source of the art in the original editions. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, Beholder first appeared Greyhawk uh, a supplement, so ODD, in 1975. Nice. Created by Terry Kuntz. Um, Rob Koontz's brother, Terry's still around, kicking around up in Chicago. I think he doesn't do much in the gaming circles. And he's the one I really want somebody to interview about early TSR days because maybe somebody has. I'll have to look. But he's he did a lot of stuff early on in Wizards of Coast. This is or in TSR. This is also one of the monsters that TSR hold, still holds the license for. Wizards of the Coast holds the license for. Oh, you, really? You can't replicate or anything this monster this is theirs if you want to use a beholder you got to write him a check a lot of the other monsters gygax and, and you know associates came up with were from folklore right yes or yeah. something like that not no. really copyrightable yeah you can't you, you can't copyright an orc uh but beholder they got it you mm-hmm. can't you can't use it which is probably why it's so featured so prominently in, in a lot well, of their stuff nothing is there are a few things creepier than a giant floating eyeball. I mean, eyeballs are intrinsically creepy. Very good. You throw some more eyeballs on top of your eyeball, <laughs> and that's, yeah, for me, that's that's a stay away. And right put there. a mouth somewhere around it. Yeah, big yeah. gnashing teeth. Yeah. So, sharp, anyway. So their abilities have I've pretty much remained constant across the additions. They, for one thing, they're large size, which is okay. You know, they're a big eyeball. They're also lawful evil, which to me is important because chaotic evil is like, Stupid evil. Yeah. You know, chaotic evil, they, they are not necessarily <laughs> stupid, but they sort of are. Lawful I, I, evil. I think he's making a comment about our campaign as well. Uh, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Lawful evil, they, they follow sort of a hierarchy and a code, so they're not necessarily as arbitrary in their actions. So it's sort of the smart evil. So anyway, beholders, first, they have an anti-magic cone that radiates from their eyeball. It's 150 feet, which is massive. Yes. yes. That, is, that cuts most of your spells out of contention. Yes. There's a few that, that are longer than that, or if you have a feat that lets you extend the range. But 150 feet, your, your wizards are shut down. Mm-hmm. That's why people are afraid of it. Now, this has always interested me. It's not where the eyeball's facing. It's wherever he wants it to be. Apparently, at the start of each turn, the beholder decides which way that cone faces. Yeah, 5th edition has no facing. So that doesn't surprise me. Okay. It's just the beholder's facing that way. So, But well, it, is, it radiates from the eyeballs, my understanding, yeah, at least in earlier editions. Now, the little eye stalks on top, hmm. each turn they get three random effects. So they shoot three of them. And that's sort of the one wild card with beholders is you're not sure what you're going to get. It's the, it's the deck of many things in a the monster. The eyeballs of many things. Yeah, so some of them are... Yeah, not not big deals. It makes you frightened, which is a joke, right. frightened condition, because it goes. <laughs> odds are you're gonna break it the next turn anyway. Yeah, but as you get so. higher up on the D10, they get a little bit. They more do get worse. Deadly. So now now that's one other criticism of fifth edition monsters, and we're, I'm sure I'm gonna keep referring back to this as we do this series. But in older editions, when you got hit with something, it didn't go away. Like, if you got paralyzed, that is very true. it yes. lasted a long time. If yeah. you were frightened, you were frightened until you defeated that monster for the most part. I mean, yes. in, mm. there's, in fifth edition, they sort of watered all that down. So the, the eye rays that are sort of scary, paralyzation for one minute, that will mess you up. Yes. One minute's a long time in, in even in fifth edition combat. Yeah. Slow for one minute. Slow sucks. Slow sucks. As players, I don't think people use slow spell enough. It can affect multiple targets, Mm -hmm. and it it basically hoses the the bad guys. Um, Telekinesis, it can, like, push you around. If you have environmental effects present in a battle, that can be handy. A nice pool of lava that happens to be handy. Uh, Sleep. But I don't know. The sleep thing, yeah. The innervation ray, was that something from the original Beholder? 
That's you know, number five. I, I brought my. You know, it's, I'll read. First I'll read the fifth edition one. It's called the targeted creature. It's called the Innervation Ray. The targeted creature must make a DC 16 Constitution saving throw, Ugh. taking 36 or 8d8 necrotic damage on a failed save, or half as much on a successful one. What did they call it back in the day? They didn't. So it just—it was just number five. <laughs> the the original Beholder was far more fearsome with its race, just like first edition. We always say first edition more deadly. Right? All right, let's let's compare. What was number one? Charm person. Okay, this is Charm Ray. What's okay. number two? And remember, first edition Charm person, you're the Beholder's bitch at that point. Yes. Yeah, you're doing what he wants. Yeah, Charm monster. So that one probably have no effect on you. That was right. number two. That was number two. Charm okay, monster. Number two is paralyzing Ray. Okay. Number well, I don't think the numbers matter. Let oh, me just go through because okay. they they reordered okay. them. All right. So three is sleep. Again, sleep mm-hmm. in first edition was a little nastier mm-hmm. than fifth edition. Not much, but a little bit. Telekinesis. Okay. Flesh to stone. Oh, Ooh. you're done. I do you're remember. Done. Yes, you're yeah, done. You're I mean, that's it. it. Unless you get a stone to flesh spell, <laughs> that your comrades are carrying your thousand pound corpse. Out of the dungeon. No. Six, Disintegration Ray. Yep. Again, save or die with a Disintegrate in first edition. Ouch. Fear as a wand. First edition fear, you take off. Yeah. You're running, so that takes you out of fight. Slow spell, that stays the same. Cause serious wound. which Cause act- serious wound? Yeah, which... I think that was a... Nice. Wasn't that the reverse of the cure serious Yeah, every... Wounds? every well, uh, cure spell had a reverse, so cause oh. serious was just whatever cure was, except oh. it did the opposite. Mm-hmm. And then uh, 10 was a death ray, mm-hmm. <laughs> basically kills you, and 11 was an anti-magic ray. It had 11. Yeah, 14, 14 inch range, which in first D&D parlance means 140 feet indoors or 140 yards outdoors. So it had one extra eye beam. Yeah, apparently, well, apparently they yeah, roll that D11. Maybe the anti-magic was the main eye. I, I may have really. one. That could be. That, that could be. be. Yeah. So a lot stuff that was just a lot more deadly. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right? And and like I said, first edition, save or die. You got to roll saving throw, and if you failed, you're dead. Yeah. And you know, a lot of those effects. So they're also a legendary creature, appropriately. And that means they can shoot one more eye stalk three times around at the end of another person's turn. Ugh. So they're actually getting six eye stalks. Now, the, what one of the supplements had a whole section on beholders. Was it Volos? I think it was Volos. Yeah, I they had like so. a whole yeah. the ecology, and a lot of these monsters have, or almost all of them, I believe, already had ecology of articles in Dragon magazine. So if you really want to know a ton more about a specific monster, that's where you go because they they develop a lot of this. Uh, information and history and you know just where they live and stuff but as part of the beholder it's been so successful that they added a ton of other beholder type monsters yeah to the to the sort of family of beholders because like greg said they're scary floating eyeballs are inherently scary so and it causes you to panic too when you run into one of these sub creatures you're thinking oh crap it's a beholder and then you run and then you're like oh no yeah. it's not it's always just, makes it's you just a gazer or something why things like this or dragons or elves haven't taken over the world in D. well when we get to mind flayers we're going to talk about that okay beholders tend to be solitary so they're not sort of empire builders now the subtype of monsters one of my favorite is the Gazer. And Gazer wasn't around in original. I'm not sure when it got added. But it's sort of like a little mini Beholder. And it has what I call baby rays. They don't they do not do as much as mm-hmm. the Beholder rays. But the funny part is it, it can't speak, but it can mimic what it hears. <laughs> and it does so in a mocking tone. Oh. <laughs> Which, as a DM, you have to appreciate. When we come in peace, we don't want to hurt you. Yeah. <laughs> Lock the door behind you. <laughs> yeah. So that's sort of fun. They got the spectator, which is sort of like has medium power rays, um, and but it also has spell reflection, and it sort of looks like a beholder at first. So when the players run into it, they slam it with all these spells before it turns around, and all the spells bounce back at the players. <laughs> so also sort of a fun monster. Um. The Mind Witness, which has sort of medium power rays and tentacles. It's sort of the Cthulhu Beholder, um, as well as the Death Kiss, which is also a tentacle-style Beholder that uh, 
has blood drain that damages you and heals it. So they've basically gone all in with the beholders. They they love yeah. the beholders. You can make like a one of those Russian dolls with the beholders, with the big one on the outside, <laughs> and then they get progressively smaller and less scary as you go in. So okay, well when I put that in an adventure, I don't want to hear you complain anymore because okay. it was your idea. <laughs> now I did include a beholder. Fairly recently in my campaign. Yeah, I remember when we ran into one, and we yeah we talked our way out of that one. Yeah, because they were going to get our asses handed oh, to Oh, totally. Them. They, they were going down into what a Beholder turned into his lair, and Beholders are super intelligent. Mm-hmm. Right? They're not yeah. dumb creatures. So I had basically built, like, the Thunderdome for Beholders. It was kind of a horror show. Wow. So they were in a hallway that the anti-magic ray could project down. And it was very difficult to get out of that hallway. There was a vat of acid at the back of the hallway. Yeah. And then in the room, it was a dome, but the dome was had a, like a... It, it had holes. Two layers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there was a void behind the dome that the beholder could fly around in. Oh, wow. And I put holes in the dome. So the beholder always had half cover, and it could just move around and shoot its rays from any angle. And the only way into that void was a door in the center of the dome about you know 40 feet in the air that you would have to fly up to open up that was locked. Because if you're a beholder, why would you not set up a combat environment that if you have to defend yourself. How did you handle it, Greg? How did the party handle it? Or we, did you all die? No, we, we talked our way out of it. We made a deal with the Beholder. Um, wasn't that... I, I think you gave three magic items or something. Yeah, we gave. I think we gave up some magic items, and didn't we promise to send somebody back? We the Yeah, because yeah. the Beholder didn't want people trampsing through its... This, this place had been an ancient uh, Hall of the High Kings, or Hall of the, the Barbarian uh, King. Yeah, or, or, no, half the Half-Orcs. Yeah, it was yeah, a half orc barbarians, and it had been deserted and, and abandoned. So the Beholder just took up residence down in the lowest level and did his stuff, and there were some giants that were living upstairs that just you know left him alone. They couldn't fit down all those those weird passages. Yeah, the, the nasty acid and traps and stuff. Well, and then the party, of course, interferes and now kill the giants. So the Beholder's like, crap, now everybody's going to be showing up. So kind of deal with the party that, hey, you provide guards up top and leave me alone and we'll all be good. So that's what they and had to give him some magic. He wasn't so bad. Yeah. So I have (laughs) I I do enjoy using Behold because they're an intelligent enemy. I sort of like that aspect where they and they're fairly formidable where the Abolith. Yeah, I guess they're sort of formidable if you're if you're meeting them in water. Yeah. You know, but, but the beholder, he'll come to you. Yeah, a really mean fisherman could take him out. But, uh, <laughs> really mean yeah. fish. That's a new character class that, yes, it is. that Greg's yeah. going to put on D&D Beyond, the fisherman. Oh, yeah. the fisherman. Okay, so the slod. Now, not the salad. sloddy. Not salad, but... Not salad, s- yes. but slod. They were introduced in Fiend Folio, 1981. Now, Fiend Folio, for those that don't know, had... All kinds of really weird creatures. It was the UK. Yes. Right? Yeah. So when D&D started, they licensed Games Workshop out of UK to make D&D stuff. And I don't want to, you know, besmirch our British ancestors slash allies slash compatriots in gaming, but they put out some weird crap. Oh, yeah. yes. So, and but the, cool crap. Yeah, I mean, it was a different take on D anD. d A lot of it was more whimsical, but a lot of it was just weird. And the Slotty were were one of them. So, they they were created by this Charles Strauss. Never came across his name before. You know, I'm not that well versed on the the some UK stuff. Brit. But it came out in the Fiend Folio, 1981. And there's a quote from Strauss that says. He was running a fever when he came up with the slotty. And he says uh, it was sort of like Lovecraftian inspired, but he didn't know about Lovecraft. <laughs> so, Which is interesting because the original Fiend Folio, wasn't it? Was it the Monster Manual or the Fiend Folio that was chock full of. Uh, no, that was uh, Deedee's Demigods. It was Deedee's Demigods. They got in trouble for that. One of those books. Right. So it basically, he was like, it was sort of like a horror take, I think is what he's saying. Yeah. Um, it. The background was they were invented um, to be part of total chaos. He wanted a creature that was, like, very chaotic. Yeah, at a glance, they sort of look like deep ones. 
Yeah. From, from yeah. Now Bros. the problem is in first edition they looked like frogs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the deep ones were frog people. Yeah, so they were like they were made fun of because they were supposed yeah. to be these big bad nasties, but they look like frogs. frogs uh, later gross. on, they sort of changed it, and in Planescape, they really developed them and become more fearsome. <sighs> and they were big in, in Planescape, Planescape Third Edition. I didn't use them early on. I don't think I've ever used Slotix outside of pre-published adventures. Yeah, I can't say that I have either. Yeah. Um, interesting. Now, an interesting question here, though, is as as we go through the through these um, aberrations, if any of them have, you know, a specific weakness or something like that, like you know, do if you, you know, if there's a slug creature, if you throw salt at it, is that going to jack it up or something like that? You know, <laughs> do any of them have you know creature specific? Uh, um, it doesn't weaknesses? seem to, it doesn't seem to say at least on D and D Beyond. Yeah, well, Dean has has it up. He can look at the immunities and resistances. Uh, or there's vulnerabilities. a lot. There's a lot of magic resistance on these. Yes. Um, they all seem to be slightly different from the next. Uh, the worst one being the death slide. Yeah, well, well, we'll cover those. So, Ooh. so he's a. I think first, I, I'd rather face a beholder. <laughs> the sli- I don't know the slider, interesting, but yeah. so this is another monster that uh, Wizards of the Coast owns the rights to. Yes. Oh, they haven't done nearly so much with the slotty as they have done with the other ones. They don't look as cool on the cover of. A they book. don't, and mm-hmm. uh, but they, you know, they. They you cannot use them without cutting them a check. So the the backstories are supposed to be from the plane of limbo. So they're supposed to be total cast, and they were created by Primus, who's the overlord of the Modrons. The Modrons came around in Monster Manual two, so they were sort of a later edition, of first first edition. And this guy, as god creature, created a spawning stone because he wanted to sort of balance the Modrons because they were all law. I guess there's a whole big story there. I I. Not I a know, fan of Modrons yeah, or Slotty. I know very little. But when they touch the spawning stone, if they either spawn from it or they come back and touch it, they get a control gem sort of in their that they have that can control them. Hmm. And if you hold that gem, you control Slotty. So that's one of the interesting parts is that you can have like a pet Slotty. And they reproduce either through the spawning stone or some of them implant humanoid hosts with eggs. Ew. Which is sort of like the you know the yeah. alien face hugger thing. Yeah. Or yeah. they infect them with a disease called chaos phage, I guess. P H A G E. I'm phage, actually looking yeah. for that, but I'm not seeing it. Um, they're all shape changers, which is sort of cool. Yes. Yeah. Uh, they all have magic resistance and they all regenerate. Mm-hmm. So having one of these control gems would be sort of cool because this is a good henchman to have. If you could control one of these slotty man, send them into battle. Uh, just they start regenerating. Death salad, yeah. <laughs> now the red are the lowest. They attack with claws or CR five. They attack with claws, but they implant their eggs with their claws oh, when ew. they hit you. That's sort of cool. Oh. I, this is an interesting monster to like mess up a party if that you're would not be familiar super with disturbing. it. Yeah, yeah. Let me read this. The host, a humanoid host, can carry only one slot egg to term at a time. Over three months. The oh. egg moves to the chest cavity, ah. gestates, and forms a slod tadpole. In the 24-hour period before giving birth, the host starts to feel unwell. <laughs> its speed is halved, and it has disadvantage on attack rolls, ability checks, and saving throws. At birth, the tadpole chews its way through vital organs and out through the host's chest in one round, killing the host in the process. No saving throw. Yeah. Now, so that's that's cool. The other cool part is you don't know that you've been infected necessarily. It's part of the claw attack. If you mm-hmm. if you read yes. that claw yeah. attack, yeah. I don't it, see this as cool. Yeah. This is if the target <laughs> is a, if the target is a humanoid, it must succeed on a DC 14 Constitution saving throw or be infected with a disease, a minuscule slot egg. Yeah. So they know they're making a saving throw, but they don't know for what. So if you have a party that you just goes, oh, okay, well, yeah. I failed it, but I don't. I feel fine. For three months. Now, is there anything that you can do once you're infected to get rid of it? Yeah, now, d- yeah, cure disease. It's a disease. Red, red is the only one that I'm seeing so far that implants any eggs. Oh, yeah, so, so blue is the next one. That's CR7. And basically, you know, it claws to infect you with that chaos phage or phage. 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 Is that <laughs> okay. It is phage. Right. Uh, then you have the green slot, and this is where we start to get into the spellcasters. They're CR8, and they have a hurl flame ability, which is actually one of the better monster abilities in in 
fifth edition. They just do 3d6 flame damage, but usually they can shoot multiple. They're just like oh. throwing this flame out there. Uh, and it's usually ranged, so if you can position them in such a way that, that they can't can't get hit, especially for like a flying creature or something like that. I'm kind of digging these guys. They are, they're interesting. Uh, maybe I'll have to work them in at some point. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> then you get the gray slot. They're CR9. They're spellcasters, and they use a great sword, so they're like the melee slot, but right. they do have some spell abilities. And then the big boy is the death slot, CR10. He's a spellcaster. He can can sort of mess you up in a variety of ways. Uh, they have innate spellcasting. Now, interesting thing about innate spellcasting, if you have a, they don't require any material components to cast their spells. Huh. So if it's a spell that only has material components, it's you can't counterspell it technically. It has to have verbal or somatic in order for them to notice that they're casting. Sometimes that comes up. So, Slotty... They're sort of cool. Maybe I should work more they, of them in. They I, are kind of cool. I'm not a huge fan of the backstory. I think the Modron thing, I don't know. I'm not, Just know. put him in some underground dwelling and Yeah, but go can with you it. imagine a lair of these things? No. I don't think you'd get out very easily. <laughs> I mean, Damn. fighting one yeah. with their spell cast. I mean, if you could coordinate with some great sword attacks, some spell casting, and then start planting eggs in everybody, that's a fun time. <laughs> and and the. <laughs> This Eric red slotty, sense of fun. he's CR5, and he implants those eggs. You're not going to have a lot of the ability to, like, cure that disease. Yeah. By the time you're fighting a seed. You're still pretty low level by the time you're fighting. I guess a paladin could do it, but you know, you'd have to know that you were infected. Yeah, that's the tricky part is you don't know. So if, if we have DMs who listen to our podcast, I feel bad for their players after, after the slotty segment. So, slotty, you know, who knew? I guess should pay more attention. It's a cool monster, though. So the next one, I included this. It's not like a really fearsome monster, but to me, it's one of the ones that I recall from very early as a player Agreed. and being totally freaked out. Agreed. So it's the Cloaker. And it came out in uh, uh, Sinister uh, Secrets of Slaver Stockade 1981. And that module was written by Harold Johnson. I'm not sure who he is, but uh, Tom Moldvay who was responsible for one of the basic editions, right? The Moldvay edition people talk I about. I have that uh, that module. Yeah. So, I mean, is Cloaker not a, a really nasty creature, but it basically looks like a cloak. Well, it ain't no, it ain't no chump. No, it's not. It's it's a CR... I don't have it's a It's a challenge rating of eight. Eight. So and, it's, you know, it's well, pretty nasty, but here's... On average, 78 hit points. Yeah, and, everything. And, and you should actually double that 78... Because it looks like a cloak, it jumps onto a character and wraps it up, and anytime somebody hits the cloaker, it takes half the damage, and the character takes the other half the damage. Oh, that's mean. Yeah. So yeah. that, now it is sensitive to light. Uh, when it attaches to you, you become blind, which blindness, you know, basically you have disadvantage on everything. It has a moan ability that can frighten, mm -hmm. which, like I said, in 5th edition, fright is crap, although it might might prevent people from getting close to it for a round. You're only frightened until the next turn. But the other ability, which I don't think it had originally, I should look up Cloaker while I'm doing that, is the Phantasm's ability. Read that Okay. Off. The Phantasm. The Cloaker magically creates three illusionary uh, duplicates of itself if it isn't in bright light. The duplicates move with it and mimic its actions, shifting position so as to make it impossible to track which cloaker is the real one. If the cloaker is ever in an area of bright light, the duplicates disappear. Yeah, so it's like a mirror image, but you have to pick mm -hmm. which one instead of rolling a d20. Actually, I don't have my first edition because it, was it wasn't in Monster Manual. It was in a later module. Okay. Ah. But, you know, like the Mimic, which we'll talk about in a different segment because uh, it's not an aberration, this is one that's here. You're just bebopping through the dungeon. You see a cloak rack or, you know, or a, or a wardrobe cabinet. You got to search it because there could be good stuff in there. Next thing you know, you got this thing wrapped around your head. It's biting you for damage. You can't see anything. It's one of those that sort of throws. And then you throw in the slotty. <laughs> uh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> now, if you're wrapped up in this thing and the red slotty attacks you, does it, it, it infects the cloak, though, instead of you? Mm. And that might be a good thing. Yeah. Or a creepy thing. Yeah. <laughs> or so both. Don't just, give him ideas. 
it just it has an old school feel yeah. like it's not an yeah. insurmountable obstacle but it's just something like what the hell just happened you know i i yeah. like that yeah and then something to point out too is all of these things look way scarier with the fifth edition rule oh yeah the art. artwork is yeah i mean yeah everything is now well, we except might, for this thing we might have to have <laughs> gray go through and and do a comparison um you know, maybe we'll put it all together side. Greg will well, put the, it all together DD side by side. Yeah, the DDR book that came out last year did a really good job with uh, mm-hmm. a bunch of the creatures on that, especially that's, the uh, the the, the dragons mind. and the beholder. Yeah, yep. That's I, was I actually read that. an interesting article about dragons, and we'll talk about that. With they were talking about before D and D really took off, people didn't know what dragons looked like. Like you could make a dragon any way you wanted, and it was a dragon. And you look at like. Like uh, mm. Oriental dragons, mm-hmm. Chinese dragons, like the long skinny things. They're more worm-like yeah. than anything. But like once D and D hit, dragons became sort of standardized as like leathery wings. You know mm. the the well, sort had, of bulbous body. It's a little fatter than a uh, Chinese dragon. You had Tolkien for that too. So yeah, but yeah. I don't know how much detail he goes into. I mean, his are written, so I guess he does go into a fair amount. But he's sort of like. You've, we've all sort of regressed towards the mean for dragons. There's That's one fair. thing that looks like a dragon now. But we'll talk about that during dragons. So our next monster, another fiend folio one. Truthfully, never use these monsters. I can Never, imagine. ever encountered. Okay. The Flump. I, I take back what I said about them all being scary in the 5th edition artwork. This one is. No, well, the Flump is kind of purposefully funny. not scary. I have run into them this because I. This looks like a bad. Uh, this looks like a third grader's version of a beholder. It's a Pokemon. <laughs> and it, that's on purpose. Okay, so the Flump in 5th edition, I've run into him because as a wild magic sorcerer, one of your effects you can have from a wild magic sorcerer is to summon like eight Flumps. Ooh. It's like some random number. So they were introduced in Castle Greyhawk in 1988. And Castle Greyhawk was like a joke module. It was all like funny stuff. And... They supposedly flumps inhabit the plane of silly and unused monsters. <laughs> <laughs> and they appear in Who Castle Greyhawk in an encounter titled The Room That Lets the Party Make It to the Next Set of Rooms. <laughs> okay. That sounds kind of British. So, yes, it sounds like a Monty Python monster. Yes. Yeah. Right. So, they're actually good aligned, they're lawful good. They have yeah. telepathy, they got these little tendrils and a stench spray. It's the they're, fart monster. They're just <laughs> something to put in to lighten the mood, I suppose. Yeah. They're, they're interesting. I actually have started collecting Flump's minis, <laughs> and they look like jellyfish because I play that wild magic sorcerer. That's my level oh, 20 character in Adventures yeah. League. If I ever summon them, I want to be able to have the minis to pull out on the board. They don't well, last long at level 20, trust me. <laughs> but still but a nuisance. They do show up. Uh, I don't know how much more we could say. Not much to them. Yeah. Yeah. So well, they're chaotic good. They're probably not that threatening either. So I think they're, law- they're lawful good. Or lawful good. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Lawful yeah. Good. They're good guys. I mean, they just sort of show up and lighten the mood. Next one. Another Fiend Folio monster, the Grell. Again, I didn't use Fiend Folio a lot. I like the Gith Yankee from Fiend Folio. I use the Gith Yankee quite a bit. Yeah. There, yeah so does there. There's a couple others in there. But the Grell, Fiend Folio, it actually appeared first in White Dwarf, which was the UK D&D magazine, uh, I believe. Don't quote me on that. But appeared in White Dwarf in 1979. Uh, showed up Fiend Folio in 1981. So it's a, it's a low CR. It's only CR3. And it's sort of a hovering brain with tentacles. And a bird's beak. And a bird's beak. <laughs> Again, it sounds like a fiend folio monster. Yeah. Those tentacles can grab you, grapple you. They can poison you for uh, a paralysis effect and then hit your beak for damage. Paralysis is pretty powerful. And if these things arrive in groups, which they can, uh, I believe it says they tend to be solitary. Good. But they can, can group up. Eh, it could be, it could be an interesting monster. If you if you click on the bottom show page, it tells you all the ecology on D and D Beyond. Like the when you open it in the monster tab, it doesn't have everything, but then on the bottom, there's usually a tab that says show more, show page. Yeah, not on this one, right. <laughs> not on the grill. Okay, uh, so 
yeah, they're okay. I'm not not real excited. Now the the next one, another iconic D and D monster. Yep, everybody loves and fears this. Yeah, the mind flayers or the illithid. Yes, the race are called the illithids. They showed up. Strategic review number one, 1975. The wow. precursor to Dragon Magazine. The first issue, monster made by Gygax. Oh, so this is. Another monster that is has product identity, so you cannot use it. Wizards of the Coast owns it. And Mind Flayers have a long history. They've been developed because people like this monster. It's a fun monster. Mm-hmm. So apparently they were the scourge of sentient creatures across countless worlds. They were tyrant slavers and interdimensional voyagers that... Um, were insidious masterminds that harvested entire races to their twisted ends. That's a good starting point for a monster. I mean, if you're going to start somewhere, let's start with them, like, dominating and enslaving worlds. That That's sort of good. They got these tentacles that come off of their face, right? They're sort of, their heads are more octopus-like. They got a mouth. And in their history, they controlled empires that spanned these worlds. They subjugated um, and enslaved whole races, including Githyanki and Githzerai, Grimlocks, and Kuatoa, or Kuatau. They have a collective consciousness. So when they come up with ideas and plots, they all join in. They're all in on the game. Right? And they're evil. They are pure evil. They don't care. Now, their empire has fallen. I'm not sure how that occurred, because they're pretty formidable. So they all just sort of came to the prime material plane and live in the Underdark. Now, lucky us, we here's, here's the thing about first edition mind flayers. So in first edition, in the back of the book, you had psionics. That's part of the reason I didn't mess much with the mind flayers. And, and we're going to take a deep dive. So if you don't care about this, you could go like make yourself a cup of coffee or something. But this to me is the heart of, of first edition and the difference between first and fifth. So for characters to be psionics, psionic, theoretically, every character got to make a percentage roll. If you had a 16 or higher intelligence, wisdom, or charisma, you got to make a roll. Okay, so, and remember, you're rolling, depending on your, the way you roll stats, you, you might not have a 16 in any of those stats. But if you did, what you, what you did was, um, for each one point of intelligence above 16, well, your first roll is a 1% chance. If you roll 100, you're psionic, if you have a single ability score. But if you have anything above 16, for every point above, you add 2.5 to the die roll. So you get another 2.5% uh, for intelligence. You get 1.5% for wisdom and a half a percent for charisma. So in true first edition fashion, rather than just make it 2% for each of this, you know, all the stats, they break it down. So you add up how smart you are. You know, The best you're going to have is 18 so that's maybe going to give you about a 10% chance to be psionic. If you're psionic, then you have to roll your psionic powers. And the worst thing in first edition was to be a weak psionic because it made you open to psionic attack by psionic creatures. Otherwise, you're considered non-psionic. Now, that's we're not going to focus on the, the psionic versus psionic because most people were not psionic. A lot of players didn't play with psionics. Right. And the information you need isn't even just in the player's handbook, because in first edition, that's what you needed to know as a player. But the actual combat for psionics is in the DMG. And essentially, the mind flayers had a psionic attack that it could use against non-psionics. And here's another, you know, this is why people hated AD&D. If I look at the monster manual for mind flayer, it calls the attack... Um, let me find it. This is a the mind blast here. Yeah, so they call it in first edition. They have. We are shuffling between books and yes. computers and such, so please excuse our slight delay yeah. here. I remember, I think in uh, in our regular campaign, mind blast. fairly early, we ran into a mind flare, and we saw it. And we turn and we Yes, you ran. did run. Yes, as fast as we could in the opposite direction. And that was probably a good choice. So we were... it's, it's called Mind Blast in the Monster Manual. The problem is that that's not the name of the attack in the psionic section 
of the DMG. Are you talking first edition? First edition. Yeah. Because I'm still having trouble finding what you're looking for in terms of, you know, how these things are, you know, the more information. All we've got right now is the big yellow box on D&D Beyond. Um, it's got the Mind Blast, which is uh, it emits a psionic energy, psychic energy, in a 60-foot cone. Each creature yeah. in that area must succeed a DC-15 intelligence saving throw yeah. or take 22 points of damage oh. um, and be stunned for one minute. And you can repeat that saving throw at the end of the turn. But if you are stunned for that one minute, he can come up there and... Eat your brain. Eat your brain. Because stunned is equals incapacitated. Yes. And so he's going to hit you with that melee weapon attack at a plus seven to hit at five foot uh, reach. With advantage. It, it, with advantage, right. And one incapacit- incapacitated humanoid is then grappled by the mind flare. Yeah. So, and while grappled. And while grappled, if you are hit... You take 55 no. points of piercing damage. On average. On average, right. Exactly. If you want to roll the 10d10, go for it. Uh, and if this damage reduces the target to zero points, the Mind Flayer kills the target by extracting and devouring its brain. Mm. Goods with fava beans. <laughs> yes. <laughs> nice. So. And that's why we ran in the opposite direction. Now, that's 5th edition. And again, right. let's hear this what 1st edition First edition. So you are getting attacked by a psionic creature, an incredibly powerful psionic creature, against a non-psionic. So what you do is you add up the target's intelligence and wisdom. Okay. okay. So let's say you got a 12 in both of those. That'd be pretty good in 1st sure. edition. You have yeah. a 24. You need to, depending on the range, we'll assume short range, you need to make a 10 or less saving throw so you have a 50 50 shot if you fail that save then you add up the attacking creatures total intelligence and wisdom and you roll a percentage effect to see what the damage is now the mind flare i don't know if we have it listed here they have their sonic <laughs> ability. See, Again, this is first why. Edition, this, this is, is why, why yeah. like we didn't do it. <laughs> yeah, I know. You got to have like three books and five just, minutes to figure out what the attack is. You literally ground your game to a halt. Let's just say these. thirty, right? Fifteen. Kind it's probably like higher than that. Yeah. <laughs> Let's give him thirty-four. So you roll percentage. There's a one percent chance you're going to be panicked. There's a two to twenty is feeble-minded. Twenty-one to eighty-five oh. permanent insanity. So that mind blast just makes wow. you permanently insane. 86 to 99, so about a 15, 14% chance of temporary insanity, and then 91 to 100, mild insanity. Now, oh, sorry, it's the attacked creatures. Yes. So, okay, so we said... Uh, but this is like a cone, right? Yes, yeah. it's a cone. It hits everybody. Jesus. So let's say we said you had a... For one thing, to avoid death, you have to have a higher than, than 13. Okay, so the other thing that happens too is that it drops your, it can drop your intelligence when you get attacked, right? So you, if you get this multiple yeah. times, your your stats can drop. But like Some a zero to five is just death one to eighty five. Yeah, bam, Jesus. Yeah, um, if you have over thirteen combined, you only have a one percent chance of death. At thirteen, over that, you're not going to death. But then it goes coma, sleep, stun, confuse, and rage, panic, feeble mind. Yeah, it's bad. I mean, it, it will mess up a group. In f- first edition. In first edition. Now, in fifth edition, eh, you just take damage. If, <laughs> if it's enough to kill you, you're dead and your brain is eaten. I hate it when my brain gets eaten. So, now, the <laughs> other thing that's scary about Mind Flayers is, unlike Beholders, which tend to be solitary, Mind Flayers, like, work together. Yes. So, yeah. you're not just fighting one of these things a lot of times. There's, like, a colony of them. That, that's what sharpshooters for. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck. Yeah. I mean, th- they are nasty. They the other thing that they've done is just like beholders were so popular that they made these flunkies, but they waited on beholders, right? You didn't see those extra things show up till later. First edition, right away, mind flayers get intellect devourers. That doesn't sound good. Which is a freaky looking monster. In every edition. It's a brain with legs. Yes. Okay, it resembles a walkie brain protected by a crusty covering uh, walking on a set of bestial clawed legs. Uh, 
Okay, so it can only move 10 feet around. That's not bad. But it can detect sentience, so it can find sentient creatures. Then it can devour intellect. So it's got a range of 10. It does uh, psychic damage, and then it also rolls 3d6, and if it rolls higher than the intelligence, your intelligence is reduced to zero, no. and you're stunned or incapacitated until you regain at least one point of intelligence. How do you regain intelligence? A is greater just... restoration, probably, I would oh, think. Okay. Or not, not just a long wi- a long. No, rest. it's yeah. not like a, a, a <laughs> not healing a word. Yeah. My fra- favorite friggin' spell, healing word. Get rid of that spell, please. Uh, I, I see a lot spell. of players in Adventures League now. Yeah. Not to go on a tangent, but that's what I do. Um, they don't even know about Cure Wounds. They just use Healing Word. Really? Yeah. So it's like it'll be downtime during combat, and some people be like, oh, we should do healing. And they're like, okay, I'll hit you with Healing Word. And you're like, dude, use Cure Wounds. I don't have Cure Wounds. And they'll be like looking it up. I'm like, that's huh. that's how insidious Healing Word is that people just go, oh, whatever, I'll heal for a D4 wow. instead of a D8. You know? So I, I hmm. healing word annoys me. Anyway, so you're stunned. You're basically out of it. If it if it rolls higher than well, your intelligence, yeah. you're out of it, right? But then now, that's when the fun starts. Yeah. As I believe as an action, it can consume your brain and teleport into your head and take over control of your body. Oh, Jesus Christ. So yes. you're essentially dead, but now you have an intellect of our mind uh, uh, doppelganger that sort of knows sort of your stuff. And can act like you. Yeah. That's totally it something says right that here, it, to me. it knows everything the creature knew, including spells and languages. Ugh. Yeah. So you thought doppelgangers were scary? Mm. At least a doppelganger, your body somewhere. This thing just <laughs> ate your brain and nobody would be able to tell. Like, how do you tell? And this was with mind flayers and intellect devour by themselves is freaking scary as hell. Yeah. But now you're like, oh yeah, this is just hanging out with the mind flayer that's gonna also probably incapacitate you. It <laughs> like, is pretty squishy though. It is. It's it's very they're not squishy. tough, which is why you need to Yeah. And and smart parties took out the intellect devourers first. Do you know what these things remind me of? Well, um I don't know if you played it, I'm sure you did. The Halo games from Xbox. Yep. Yeah. These are just like the the spores. The, yeah. Uh, what do they call? What they call them? The spawn, not the spawn. I don't. It's been so long since I yeah. played Halo. I've been playing Red Dead Redemption Two, which yeah. just came out for the PC, by the way. But this is much like that, where they would basically attack you, eat your brain, and then you would become a walking zombie of yourself. Yeah. So, so mind flayers, intellect devourers, both in the original Monster Manual, scary as hell. That was the monster I feared in first first edition, and yeah. that's the monster. If I'm going to design an adventure arc not just a single adventure a an adventure arc i would design it based on mind flares and intellect devourers because they are still scary as hell they're freaky looking good monster all right so we have one more i believe and i believe that's also still owned by wizards of the coast i don't know if we yeah. mentioned that um yeah we have one more that we're going to cover and i always mispronounce this hey. i never like paid attention to the spelling Was it so Otyug? Odiug. Hang on a second. Hang on a second. We're going to see. Well, I don't know if we can do it because it actually has a pronunciation thing on the D and D Beyond. But if I hit it because of where we're at, we're really. We're not, I, I, I'm pretty sure it's Odiug. Yeah. Now, I always pronounce it Adif. I don't know. I just. Adif? I never really looked at the spelling. I just noticed some letters so and it's not like you say the name a lot so for years i didn't know really know what this monster was okay called. i'm gonna go with what william shatner called it on the i think it was one of the final episodes of the big bang theory when they all got together and played D and okay in uh in the apartment he called it an otyug otyug yeah or let's see O-tug. let's see if this works okay yeah what are you pulling something up on your phone Greg's trying technology. Yeah. So, oh, because, uh, yeah, this is a large aberration. It is a. Odiug. Odiug. Okay. Odiug. <laughs> yeah. So, it, it showed up in original Monster Manual 77, made by Gygax. There was also included a Neo Odiug, which I sort of like that we just randomly throw in Neo and the monster name. You don't see that anywhere else, but sure, why not? It's first edition. You do anything you want. Made by Gygax and Brian Bloom. Another person that, um, Odiuk. there you go. 
Um, I my headphones. I forgot they were off. Oh, sorry. No, not Brian Bloom. That was Ian Lake Devour was Brian Bloom. We forgot to mention that. Guy Gax and Bloom, Eldritch Wizardry, 1976. Uh, the Odiog was just, just Guy Gax. So it's basically the Dungeon Garbage Removal Service. Yes. That's, and it's sort of funny because Guy Gax would think about ecologies of mm-hmm. dungeons like how do monsters eat and i would i think about that too you can't That's like fair. if you're gonna oh, okay we got it greg <laughs> greg's figured out technology yeah. he's he's like the grandfather who's just discovered Isn't Facebook. that where the carrion crawler also came from yeah the carrion crawler but gygax would not put monsters in a dungeon that needed food unless he also provided a food source you know a mushroom patch or something so that's why undead are pretty popular because you can just leave undead down there or creatures that you know devour rock or live off a waste like the odiog so it had limited telepathy and it could bite for damage and hit you with its tentacles for uh disease and poison and then you're also restrained now restrained doesn't do a lot in fifth edition it's sort of depressing but they also have an attack called a tentacle slam and if it has you it can like slam you against the wall and in concept that's really cool right Mm -hmm. the problem is it's not part of its normal attack sequence so the only thing it's doing is slamming somebody with a tentacle and giving up the rest of its attacks and this is a criticism i have for fifth edition monsters it needs to put stuff like that as bonus actions that's what i do in my home game any of those cool special abilities i move them to bonus actions that way i get one around if i got somebody grappled i'm gonna use my bonus action tentacle slam slamming against the wall if they ever do a rewrite of fifth edition i think they need to revise all these monsters and start to put these special abilities in bonus actions so that you actually get to use them and monsters become more identified with these abilities right now mm-hmm. every monster just attacks because right. that's you know that's why are you going to give up three attacks so you can do one single tentacle slam i don't know why they didn't do that i don't think it was well thought out they spent a lot of time thinking about characters and classes and balance and but your monsters become very one-dimensional yeah challenge ratings are a joke monsters are, are one-dimensional i wish they would redo it but a lot of these original monsters we just talked about, especially the intelligent ones, you can really use them to to provide a good adventure. You know, and, mind and flayers are truly scary. Sc- and they're truly scary. Yeah, yeah. mind flayers, intellect devourers. You know, even even the Abolith, which isn't our favorite. If you if he is controlling a bunch of creatures, because he can do that with his sliminess, then. It's going to take you a while to get to him. You're going to have to fight through minions. Minions, that's the word I was looking for uh, in 4th edition. Fair have... warning, Greg. Yeah. I would just be war- uh, Just be careful. Everything that he's going to be talking about They're now. surrounded the by demons. Next, uh, well, month, next six months or so, going to be these monsters. You know what? We're, we're having trouble with, you know, angry orcs. Yeah, guard <laughs> swords. So something like human, this, by the way. Something like this yeah. would just devastate the party. Okay. Yeah. yeah. No. And they're also in uh, Doraka and surrounded by demons. So yeah. I don't think they need to worry much about this stuff. All right. Well, that was the aberrations. And yeah. hopefully this podcast was not an aberration for you. We hope you enjoyed it. And Dean had an idea for our next podcast yes. as Greg prepares to read our going out credits. Uh, you wanted to do a podcast on traps. Yes. I think that we should look at traps that we have made, traps that we have encountered, and we should give a nod to some of the nastiest traps created by Grimtooth. Yeah, so we're going to we're going to do a bit of research. Greg, are you familiar That's with Grimtooth? No, I am not. Okay, that is a first edition, but I will give you um, in advance the books of traps and traps 2 to take a look at. Yeah. Okay, so cool. so we have that coming up and we will continue well, our our and, and monster I, podcast yeah, series. And, and I just did the uh Tomb of Horror, so I ran so into plenty yep, of traps. There you go. Yeah. There you go. All right. Do not stick anything in an open hole that you can't see the other <laughs> side of. That's bad. Are we still talking about D&D? <laughs> uh, that's up to you. <laughs> 
It's just good advice all yeah. the way around. All right, Greg, take us out before we get any worse. Okay, if you want to uh, tell us about your aberrations, uh, real or imagined, you can get a hold of us on Facebook, where we are The Grognards. On Twitter, we are at TGrognards. And on Instagram, we are The Underscore Grognards. And we always have classic email, where we are gamers at thegrognards.com. All right, so until next time when we maybe set a trap for you, for the Grognards, I'm Dean Geiken. I'm Eric Holly. And I'm Greg Ziegler. Game on.